And for that, I'll have you turn in your Bible to Ezekiel 34. That's where we are eventually headed. I'm going to begin by reading something from Psalm 82. But we'll be spending most of our time in Ezekiel 34. Psalm 82, 3 and 4 says, Give justice to the weak and the fatherless. Maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. Now, Father, we come to You seeking that You would take the Word and bring it into our hearts in such a way that we would see Jesus. We would see His compassion, His grace, His strength. We would see Him as the Good Shepherd, the Good Shepherd that our souls need at every level. The Good Shepherd who has both the rod and the staff. The rod for driving away the wolves. For bringing judgment. The staff for tending the sheep and drawing them close. You've come, Lord, for sinners and sufferers. In fact, we are all, both of those, sinners in need of a Savior and sufferers in need of Your comfort. So come now, Lord, and You provide. It is in Your name we pray. Amen. So why this topic of abuse? Isn't it controversial? Don't people use that word to mean lots of different things? Um, some define it so broadly that almost anything they don't like qualifies. You know, you hurt my feelings, so you're an abuser. Others define it so narrowly that if it doesn't leave a scar, well, that's not abuse. Or they just dismiss the idea entirely. And yet the headlines keep reminding us that it's a big topic. It just keeps finding its way back into the news. You know, from the Me Too movement in recent years to the whole Johnny Depp, Amber Heard circus that some of us witnessed. But also in the fact that churches are in trouble all over this nation for ignoring abuse, covering it up. The Executive Committee of the Southern Baptist Convention did a horrible job of handling that. Most of those men, in fact, have resigned over the fiasco that has followed. You pray for the new ones as they seek to be on a better foundation. But it is precisely because it is controversial and easy to misunderstood that we need to think about this topic biblically. And as we're going to see, God cares very much for those who are misused and trampled on by others, especially when it's by those that He is called to be servant leaders, but who betray, betray that calling by becoming abusers. And so the first thing we need to do is we need to understand what abuse is from a biblical perspective. And because the Bible is our standard, that's where we must go. And here's the challenge as we begin. Abuse, as we use that word today, is not the word the Bible uses to describe this sin. I mean, you, you go to concordance, you look up the word abuse, and you're just not going to find very much there. But the concept of the sinful misuse of authority to dominate or control another is found throughout Scripture. And so let's, let's begin by thinking about 
a biblical definition. The first thing that we need to say is that when we talk about abuse, let's just put a title on it, we're talking about sin. A particular kind of sin, but we're talking about sin. We're talking about something that God hates. In this case, it's the willful mistreatment of a fellow image bearer in order to get control of them, in order to gain what you want. It is the selfish act of manipulating, tricking, threatening, bullying, forcing someone to give what you want. The biblical terms that are used for this sin are things you will find in a concordance. Things like mistreat, oppress, afflict, do violence, and so forth. Uh, for instance, Exodus 22, verse 22 says, You shall not mistreat any widow or fatherless child. If you do mistreat them and they cry out to me, I will surely hear their cry and my wrath will burn. That's something to think about. Zechariah 7, verse 10 says, Do not oppress the widow, the fatherless, the sojourner, or the poor. And let none of you devise evil against another in your heart. And so it is it's devising evil against another who is weak, uh, taking advantage of them with your strength. Uh, the idea being, I use my authority against you, not for you. My strength in my hand becomes a weapon I use to get what I want. Because that is the goal of abuse. It is the goal of control. It is, it is me dominating you with force to coerce you to give in to what I want. And so here's a definition we'll just begin with. Abuse is the misuse of power or position through coercion, violence, threat, intimidation, or any other sinful action to control the life or body of another and make them give me what I want. Um, in other words, Abuse happens when I misuse my strength or authority to manipulate or to control another person in order to get my way. Abuse at its very heart is self-centered. The, the other person's needs aren't what really matter to me. I'll say they matter and I'll say I love this person, but that what really matters to me in my heart of hearts and by my actions is forcing them to give in to what I want. Now, Clearly, there are some fine lines we have to walk as we think about this. If you're a person in authority at all, there are times that you have to get people to do things they don't want to do. Parents, we live there sometimes. Abuse, I mean, that's not abuse. Exercising rightful authority in a godly way for the good of someone else is not abuse. There is indeed a proper use of authority. There's a proper use of leadership to discipline, to train, to lead. And, and as parents especially, we pray for God's wisdom to be faithful in how we do that for the good of our children. In fact, we are negligent if we don't do that. Nor is marital conflict abuse. It can be done abusively, but the conflict itself is not husbands and wives. Can we talk? We disagree. Um, marriage is a sanctifying institution. Can I get an amen? And in the midst of that conflict that sinners have, we sin against each other. Right? There have been many times in our past that I've spoken over the years harshly to Amy and her to me in ways that we would both be ashamed of. 
for anyone to overhear. Now, by the grace of God, that hasn't happened in a long time. But early on, it happened way too much. I've acted in ways toward her that were not loving. I've failed over these uh, many years to, to love her as Christ loves the church consistently, especially in those early days. I am certain that I've sinned against her more than I've sinned against anybody else on the planet. And that's why I am, by the way, so grateful for God's convicting and reconciling grace at work in our marriage. Because, boy, He does good things. The conflict itself is not abuse. Abuse is not the exercise of authority. As a husband, I am called to lead my wife and children for their good. My wife is called to follow me graciously. No, abuse is not the use of authority in a proper way. Abuse is the misuse of that authority. Holding it over her head. Using it against her with force or trickery in order to coerce. So with that kind of definition in mind, let's look at a biblical picture of abuse in Exodus 34. I'm going to begin reading the first six verses. Exodus 34, verse 1. We call this, I had a professor called it the fat little shepherds. Uh, I call it the bad shepherds, the evil shepherds, the faithless shepherds, the abusive shepherds. Pick your title. The word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, Thus says the Lord God, Ah, shepherds of Israel, who should, um, who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you don't feed the sheep. The weak you've not strengthened, the sick you've not healed, the injured you've not bound up, the strayed you've not brought back, the lost you've not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they're scattered because there was no shepherd and they became food for the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. They wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. My sheep were scattered over the face of the earth with none to seek or search for them. Clearly, he's calling out the shepherds of Israel for their abusive behavior. Who are these shepherds? In the Old Testament, the figure of a shepherd is a common picture of a man in leadership. Kings and priests specifically are called shepherds. In the New Testament, the, uh, the, the pastors, that's just another word for shepherd. And so shepherd implies two things. First, it implies a man in leadership. Second, a man given authority by God to care for those entrusted to him. So a man in leadership with authority to care for those entrusted to him. Husbands, fathers... That's a really good biblical description of our role. We are to be the shepherds of our families. God has entrusted these precious souls, beginning with our wives, to our leadership to lead and care for them. And it is the abuse of that leadership that Ezekiel is describing here. So I'm going to focus this morning on addressing us as men. Women can act abusively as well. But in the vast majority of cases of domestic abuse, some 90 to 95%, it tends to be men. And, and honestly, that makes sense, right? We're the ones with greater authority. We've got bigger bodies. And we've got that more aggression that comes through this testosterone coursing through our veins. And so let's think as men, but let's apply broadly as we go. First of all, then, what are we talking about? Abusive shepherds are at heart self-seeking. They put themselves first in the relationship. Again, look at verses 2 and 3. 
O shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you you don't feed the sheep. This self-centered focus is what I'm going to call the entitlement mindset of an abuser. A self-serving leader feels entitled to get all the benefits of marriage for himself with little concern for her needs. His mindset is, I have a right to demand these things from her. You know, she, she owes me this because she's my wife. She's mine. And what gets lost with that entitlement mindset is the necessity of the give and take of mutual care that should exist in the relationship. See, really it's a matter of focus. I mean, of course, shepherds receive a benefit from the flocks they tend, but notice how for them it's all about themselves here, these shepherds. Me getting what I think I've got coming from these sheep. What's missing? The responsibility to care for the sheep in the first place. Should not shepherds care for the sheep? That word feed means to care for, to tend, to nurture. Shouldn't shepherds care for the sheep? Should not husbands care for their wives and put their needs ahead of his own? Which really is the point, isn't it, of Ephesians 5.25, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her. Second, abusive shepherds focus on their right to rule rather than their calling to serve. Verse 4, The weak you've not strengthened, the sick you've not healed, the injured you've not bound up, the strayed you've not brought back, the lost you've not sought, but with force and harshness you've ruled them. So so this shepherd, rather than seeing his role as a man, as a responsibility entrusted to him so that he can serve her with Christ-like love, he thinks of his position as a right and a privilege to be demanded, granted to him so that he's able to get his way. Right again, he's entitled. You know, I work hard all day. When I come home, I have a right to expect certain things to be done for me. And when, and when you don't provide those things, my anger is justified. You did this. It's your fault. If you were a better wife, I wouldn't act this way. Oh, brother, if you ever hear words like that coming out of your mouth, you are stepping into that entitled mindset of an abuser. Stop and look what's happening there. Look what you're saying. You're saying you exist for me. You're here to make me happy. And if if you don't make me happy, oh, there are going to be consequences. You see, that's, that's the path that leads to an abusive shepherd. It is, in, in an abusive relationship, consequences mean, I'm going to make sure you do what I want, or, or I'm going to punish you in some way to get it. It may be that I'm just going to give you the silent treatment for two or three days because you've disappointed me and haven't done what I expected you to do. Or I'm going to hold something over your head and not give it to you, something I know you want, until you comply with my wishes. And again, men and women can both play that game. But every time we do it, it's wicked. It's not love. That's manipulation. There's no place for that in a marriage. And how different that is from the way of Christ we see In places like, well, Mark 10, verse 42, Jesus called them together and said to them, You know that those who consider themselves rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority, literally says, down upon them. 
I'm up here, you're down there, I'm going to crush you until you do what I want. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. Whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give His life a ransom for many. Third thing, abusive shepherds seek to maintain control. It's a big word. Often through force and intimidation. Look at that last word there in verse 4. And with force and harshness you have ruled them. With force of oppression and threat of violence, literally, you have dominated them. I mean, what a devastating picture. And what a complete opposite from the calling of a husband to exercise Christ-like leadership. Isaiah 40, verse 11 says of Jesus, He will tend His flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs into His arms. He will carry them in His bosom and gently lead them that are with young. There's our wives. We are called to be Christ-like shepherds who lead. Yes, we lead, but we lead gently, not Satan-like dominators who oppress with force. So why does the Lord think we need this kind of warning? Because there's many of them in Scripture. Why do we need this warning? Well, think about it. By God's design, by God's design, men, we are bigger and stronger than our wives. I think that's true across the board. Right? If we had a wrestling match today after church and it was husbands versus wives and I was a betting man, I know where my money's going to go. I mean, really? So, So why did He do that? Was it so that we could just get our way? I mean, certainly you could. You could certainly use your strength against her like that. You could, and I'm using this word I think correctly, you could make her life a living hell with the exercise of your strength. And there are men that do that, as you know. But what has God called you to do with that strength as a man? Well, God calls you and me as men to use our greater strength and our place of authority in the relationship to serve her, to protect her, to love her, to to lead her as Christ leads the church, to provide for her a place of security and the confidence uh, that, that, you know, I'm always going to put her first. You, You see, brother, your strength is not there for you at all. It's for her and it's for your children. 1 Peter 3.7 rocked my world. I've shared this before. Some of you have heard it. But the, the worst time in mine and Amy's relationship when we were really struggling relationally and I was so mad at her. Because, you know, selfish sin, you see all the, your partner's faults and none of your own. And I could see her faults. They were so glaring. And, you know, me, I was, I'm the good guy. I'm trying to be right. And um, I just, in my frustration, I went up to Beechree Park to complain to God. And I opened my Bible and I began to read. And my eyes fell across 1 Peter 3.7. I don't even remember why. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. That is seeing her, seeing her needs, showing honor, value, preciousness to the woman as the weaker vessel. Yes, physically weaker. Since they are heirs with you of the grace of life so that you're prayers may not be hindered. My prayers were hindered 
Couldn't get through to God. He wasn't listening. Why? Because I wasn't hearing her. It rocked my world. To violate this trust by climbing up on top of her and seeking to dominate her in order to control her, that is a vile corruption of God's design for marriage. It is a blasphemy because it lies about who Christ is. It is a betrayal of the very calling of a husband and God hates it. That's one reason this matters. So that fourth, we have to understand that abusive shepherds bring harm to those entrusted to them when they act like wolves. Verses 5 and 6. So, they were scattered. In John 10, Jesus talks using this word scattered to describe the work of a wolf. And so my sheep were scattered because there was no shepherd, at least not one worthy of the name, and they became food for the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. They wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. My sheep were scattered over the whole face of the earth with none to search for them or seek them. A shepherd's calling is to care for and protect his lambs. A wolf preys upon them and devours them. A shepherd sees his calling as a stewardship given by God for the good of those entrusted to him. A wolf sees them as an opportunity to get what he wants and will manipulate them to make sure that he does. Notice something else here in verses 5 and 6. Who do the sheep belong to? Who do the sheep belong to? Look what he says into verse 5. My sheep, my sheep, God says, were scattered. Verse 6, my sheep were scattered. Verse 8, my sheep have become a prey. My sheep have become food for the wild beasts. Eight times in five verses, for the sake of emphasis, God tells these faithless shepherds, these are my sheep, not yours. See, contrary to the old saying, you are not the king of your castle. God is. You're the chief chief steward. You're the shepherd appointed by the owner for the care of his flock, but... You're not the king. To The shepherd himself doesn't own the sheep. God owns the sheep. And they've been entrusted to us for a time. To put it very plainly, you don't own your wife. She's not yours to do with as you will. She's been entrusted to you for a time as a wife and a partner from your heavenly Father as a gift. But at the end of the day... Anytime you're given authority over another soul, God will require it of your hands. By the way, that scares pastors to death when they think hard about it. So before she's yours, she's His. He created her. And and if she's a Christian, He's claimed her as His beloved daughter. And oh, how He loves her. And now He's entrusted her to you and even put her under your leadership during this time. Why? For you to do her good. For you to beautify her with grace, as Ephesians 5 says. For you to lead her toward Him in love. For you to care for her. Never prey upon her. Same as with your kids. I mean, think of this. I'm a dad with daughters, as you know. What would I do to the man I found persistently mistreating them? I don't even want to think about it. I'm grateful for the good son-in-law we've got because I think I'd go to jail. I think I'd be willing. Fifth, abusive shepherds who mistreat those entrusted them and then will face the judgment of God. 
Verse 7, Therefore you shepherds hear the word of the Lord. As I live, declares the Lord God, surely because my sheep have become a prey and my sheep have become food for all the wild beasts, since there is no shepherd worthy of the name, and because the shepherds have not searched for my sheep, but the shepherds have fed themselves and have not fed the sheep, therefore you shepherds hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I am against the shepherds. I'll require my sheep at their hands and I will put a stop to their feeding the sheep. No longer shall the shepherds feed themselves. I will rescue my sheep from their mouths that they may not be food for them. I mean, that's devastating. And so just the warning, if you are engaged in the ongoing abuse or misuse of a precious soul entrusted to you by God, hear that again. I am against you, says the Lord. I will require it of your hands. That's not a place you want to be. You mistreat them, you face Him. You act like a wolf, God will treat you like a wolf. That's heavy. Oh, okay, why am I saying all this to you this morning? To this congregation gathered here. Really two reasons. First, because this sin, like all sin, is deceptive and it, it tends to hide in the shadows. See, I'm not saying any of this because I've got you in name and, and I think we've got a lot of men in our church who are, who are guilty of this sin of abuse. I mean, if I thought that, the elders would have a crisis on our hands because we'd need be, being to go to you and deal with that. My hope for most of you hearing me this morning is, is that this is just going to be a spiritual gut check for you. And, and, and as you hear this, you, you are examining yourself scripturally. And, and where you see any tendency in you that is contrary to God's Word, you will just say, Lord, I repent. And, and you'll seek Him for a true change of heart in life. And you'll become accountable to other men in order to get help so that you can grow in this grace of a godly shepherd who leads your family wisely. And, and I know most of you enough to know that's what most of you want. But we also have to be aware that domestic abuse is a very real problem and by the very nature of what it is, it hides in the shadows. Statistics, never can say that word, tell us that one in four women will experience physical violence in her lifetime from a man who should have protected her. Now, even if that statistic is overblown, I don't think it is, but, 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 but even if it is, it's way too many. It means there's a lot of image bearers out there suffering in silence. And it's not only the abused that I'm concerned about this morning. I'm concerned for the abusers themselves because they're the ones that have put themselves in God's crosshairs. And one of the things that happens with an abuser is that they get really good at, at what I'll call image management. That is orchestrating things and convincing others that they're really great guys, that they're really wonderful. Out in the world, they can just be the most... I mean, how many stories have you heard you find out some terrible things are happening behind closed doors and you think, he was the greatest guy? And, and often, many times, they're good at convincing her she's the crazy one. And convincing you she's the crazy one. You see, it's part of the self-deception of sin. All sin. Abusers don't think they're sinning. They think they're just being firm. They don't see themselves as brutal. I'm just strong. They're not demanding. I'm, I'm just decisive. That's not cruelty. It's tough love. I don't have an anger problem. I have a wife problem. You know, if she just straighten up, if she just do it right, 
None of this would ever happen. By the way, that's what he tells her over and over and over again until she begins to believe it. This is your fault. You made me do it. You are responsible for my bad attitude and my bad behavior. Oh, that is a lie. Right? Nobody else is responsible for your bad behavior. When you stand on judgment day, God won't say, well, I understand. He'll say, depart from me, you worker of iniquity. But you see, he believes that. And before long, she believes that. And so second, we need to be aware of the sin because, first of all, we just need to know that it exists, that it's subtle, and that it works really hard to stay hidden. And out of love for the abused and the abuser, we want Christ to bring light, the light of His grace, into that sinful relationship in order for there to be the help and the hope of the Gospel. Because see, here's the thing. Christ Himself is both the rescuer of the abused and the only real hope of the abuser. And so, we as a church have to be able to give the hope of the gospel to both the sinner and the sinned against in every situation, but specifically in this one. And by the way, this is where this topic this morning is just too big. I had hoped uh, to have a whole section about child abuse as well as domestic abuse. That's a whole other subject that we need to cover at some point. Uh, As this broken world becomes more sexualized and traumatized, we have an epidemic of the sexual abuse and exploitation of children on our hands, usually by someone they know. The statistics are mind-blowing. And we tend to think that it's that creepy guy in the trench coat on the playground offering candy that we need to worry about. I mean, he's out there. We need to be aware of him. But 90% of children are victimized by someone they know and trust. And there are grooming behaviors that perpetrators engage in. First, with us who are in authority so they can get in. And second, with those that they abuse so they can draw them into the net. And I'll just leave that one for now by saying Jesus warns about those who who dare to touch or violate my little ones, it would be better to have a millstone tied around your neck and cast into the sea than to be guilty of that. But here let's stick to the hope of the Gospel for both the abused and the abuser. And first let's begin with the abuser, with the sinner. Maybe this morning you're here or you're hearing this later on and God has opened your eyes to the fact that you are mistreating the one you're supposed to be caring for. You've manipulated her, you've belittled her, you've threatened her, you've intimidated her, you've tried to control her. I mean, I've actually known of guys that would take the car keys and make her ask permission to go shopping or something like that. That's not shepherding, that's dominating. And so maybe God has opened a window into your heart and you said, you know, I'm, I'm in sin here, I'm in trouble. You need to do four things. First, you just need to hear God's warning. You need to hear God's warning. Malachi chapter 2 is addressed to sinning husbands specifically when it says another thing you do, you cover the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and groaning because He no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor. God's closed to the heavens to you. He's not. You're, nothing you're doing is getting through. You say, why does He do this? Because the Lord has witnessed between you and the wife of your youth to whom you have been faithless Though she is your companion and your wife by covenant, you've broken the covenant. It says the Lord is a witness against you. As long as you mistreat her, you cannot be right with Him. Again, 1 Peter 2.13, your prayers are hindered. 
And so the first thing is just to acknowledge your sin before Him. Turn uh, from your hardness of heart toward her. Confess to Him your needs. Seek Him for the forgiveness and grace only Christ can give. And second, repent. Repent and realize that repentance is not just saying you're sorry. It is a supernatural change of heart given by God that brings a lasting change. There's a pattern in abuse where a man will act abusively, get what he wants, and then be sorry or claim to be sorry for a while. But then he'll do that over and over and over again. Always promising to do better. And yet the, brute, the, the, the abuse returns. Why? Because there's been no true change of heart. Repentance is a change of heart leading to a changed life. And that's true of any sin, by the way, isn't it? Acts chapter 26, verse 20 says, We must repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with repentance. So don't just tell your wife that you're going to do better. She doesn't believe it anymore. Don't just tell your husband you'll do better. Go to Christ. Repent of your sin. Get forgiven. Let Him give you a new life. Third, Speaking to men, confess your sin to another man and humbly submit yourself to be accountable and to get the help that you need. It may be a Christian counselor. It may be a pastor. It may be a faithful, godly friend. But, but if, you've been, if you've been living in a pattern of abuse and lies for a long time, you're just not going to be able to fix this by yourself. Oh yeah, God can do miracles, but... You need help. He's given you the body for that reason. Especially if you hold on to the secrecy. The secrecy. If you let pride keep you isolated, you will not change. Oh, you'll do better for a little while. Then you'll fall right back into the same old patterns. Dear brother, humble yourself. Confess your sin first to God. Then confess your sin to another faithful man and get help. Fourth, realize realize that there may be consequences. There probably will be consequences. So you persist in abusive behavior, you very well could lose your family. Certain kinds of uh, certain kinds of abusive behavior, there very well could be legal consequences. Sometimes the best thing that a when the hardest thing that a woman can do for an abusive man is to get out for a time, to separate for a time, to wake him up. And we never undertake that lightly, but sometimes that is the very best thing, especially when we're talking about persistent. Abuse, and he won't wake up and he won't see it, or where his behavior has become a threat to her or the children, I will never say to a woman, stay there and get beaten. I'm going to get her help. I'm going to love him. I'm going to seek to reach him, but, 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 but I'm going but to get help. And then any rebuilding that comes after that, understand, brother, it's going to take time. Right? Because trust has been broken. And so you're going to just be patient. It's not going to just like, hey, I repented. Now, it's all better. No, there needs to be a consistent growth in grace. Yes, forgiveness should come in the reality of the heart, yielding this to Christ, but trust when it's been broken repeatedly is a much harder matter. But, but please hear me on this. Whoever you are, whatever stage you're in, wherever, it is worth it. It is worth it. If Christ is honored and your marriage is made whole, it is worth it. Amy, in our worst time, we got to the point that I don't think anything was abusive. We were just both knuckleheads, especially me. 
And we ended up going to a counselor. I mean, if you know that already. And this brother kind of, it took us, it took us weeks and weeks and weeks and he began to help us and he began to open our hearts and open the doors. And I remember the moment her heart, which was clenched toward me because of my harshness toward her, it just opened. It was like a log jam. And all of a sudden, you know, light began to get through and things began to flow, but it, it took help. Second, for the abused, for the sinned against, Please hear me. The Lord Jesus has a very special place in His heart for sufferers. He is a good shepherd. And He is out searching for His sheep. And He is searching for you, wounded one. Male or female, right? There could be men here today who have suffered abuse as children and you've carried that baggage for years. He's coming for you as well. And so I want you to hear His heart for you. Listen to Him further. Listen to Him. Exit, uh, sorry, here we are in Ezekiel chapter 34 still. Verse 11, For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I, I Myself will search for My sheep and I will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, right? Those who've been harmed, those who've been abused, those who've been, who've been mistreated, so will I seek out my sheep and I will rescue them from all the places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. It has been a day of clouds, darkness. It, there hasn't seemed to be any light or any hope, but Christ is near. Listen to him further, verse 15, I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I myself will make them lie down. Remember those green pastures and quiet waters, declares the Lord. I will seek the lost, and I will bring back the strayed, and I will bind up the injured, I'll heal their wounds, and I will strengthen the weak. But the fat and the strong I will destroy, I will feed them with justice. Verse 23, And I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David. Okay, you know that's Jesus, right? My servant David, the son of David, Jesus. And He will feed them, and He shall feed them and be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God. And my servant David, that's Jesus, shall be prince among them. I am the Lord. I have spoken. Oh, what a strong shepherd comes to our aid. And how ready He is to take you in His arms as you trust Him. Psalm 78, verse 52 says, Then He will lead out His people, His sheep, and guide them in the wilderness like a flock, and He will lead them to safety, and they will not be afraid. Whoever you are, listen, you don't have to be afraid. You don't have to suffer alone. Come you who are weary and heavy laden, Jesus says, and I will give you rest. Friend, rest your head on this Savior's strong shoulder. Believe His promise of help and healing. Let Him give it. You see, you don't have to believe the lies anymore that you deserve to be treated like this, that you had it coming. That if only you'd been a better wife, or if you'd been a better daughter, or if you'd been a better son, none of this would have happened to you. None of that's true. You've not suffered because you did it wrong. 
You've suffered because it's a broken world filled with broken people. And yeah, you're broken too. But it's a broken world filled with broken people. And one of those broken, sinful people, maybe even someone you love and care about, did something terrible. But here's the good news. That is not the end of the story. Not by a long shot. There is hope and help and healing in Christ for every soul who comes to Him. This is why Christ came. He came to reverse the curse and its consequences. He died for sinners like us. He can heal your wounds. He can heal the wounds of the sinner. He can heal the wounds of the sinned against. Understand, again, I've said it in my prayer at the beginning, you and I, we are both sinners who've sinned against others and we're sufferers who've been sinned against. And there is nothing Satan would like more than to keep us bound in those chains of sin and suffering. But Christ has come to break those bonds and free us from the snares of sin and bitterness. Listen, because, listen, Christ came to bear your sin. Yes, that's where it starts. But he also came to bear your suffering, your shame. Your pain. I mean, listen to what He's done for us. You know this passage, but hear it with fresh ears. Isaiah 53, 3-8 tells us Jesus is who it's talking about. He was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. All those tears you cried on your pillow at night thinking nobody knows, He knows. He's there. He collected them. As one from whom men hid their faces, He was despised and we esteemed and not. He was belittled. He was made to feel as though He's nothing in the eyes of men. Surely He Himself has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed Him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed, bruised, it says, for our iniquities. Upon Him was the chastisement that brought us peace. By His wounds we are healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one of us to His own way. The Lord has laid on Him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and He was afflicted, yet... He opened not His mouth. He he was silent. There was silence there. Like a lamb that is led before the slaughter. Like a sheep that, that, that is silent before its shearers. So He opened not His mouth. By oppression and judgment He was taken away. And, and as for the, the generation who considered that He was cut off from the land of the living, stricken for the transgressions of my people. It was the Lord's will to crush Him, putting Him to grief, because it is by that means that He has borne our iniquities carried away our sins. Christ bore our pain. He bore our suffering. He bore our sins. He bore it all so we wouldn't have to. And He understands your sorrow. And He can help. He can take everything that you have suffered and remake it for His glory. But the hope begins by stepping out of the shadows into His light by faith. That's what I want to call you to this morning. Oh, wounded one, call on Christ. Come to Christ. Take your wounds and your sorrows and yes, your sins to this good shepherd because He is faithful and can heal and help. 
And then, dear one, if this is you that I'm talking to this morning, find help among His people. So we as a church are ready to help. Friend, you don't have to suffer alone. One of the biggest lies, a child being sexually abused, a woman being abused tends to believe is I'm the only one suffering this and nobody could understand. And that is another lie. You don't have to suffer alone. If you need prayer or counsel, first of all, we've got elders and deacons that this is their calling. Hey, just uh, Kyle and Warren and, and deacons that are in this room, would you guys just stand? They're not all here, but if you're a deacon or a, or a, or a pastor here, stand. It means on your feet. Yes, please. <laughs> so here are some men, first of all, that you can go to, that you can call out to. Now, while you guys stay standing, we also have, if you're maybe a woman and you, you want to talk to a woman, um, we've got several who have been trained for this very purpose, to help those who are suffering. And so if you're on the Women's Council and you've been trained to, to help and pray for and give aid to a woman in need, you stand. Go ahead. Stand up, gals. Please. And why am I doing this? Not to say, hey, look at them. But to say, dear, dear friend, there is help. A man, you're struggling and you say, I think I have not led my wife well. I think I've led in a way that God hates. I need help. See one of these brothers. If you're a woman and you say, this is going on and I've not told anybody and nobody knows and I don't know what to do. I don't even know if it is abuse. I just know that it's, it's not working and I need help. These ladies are here to help. And they can help you, not because you guys can sit. Not because of who they are, but because they can point you to Christ. And they can take you to Christ. And they can get you the help that you need. See, that's where I want to leave this. There is help and there is hope for all who will seek Him. And Church Rockport, my desire for us is that we would be a refuge for those who seek His help. Calling sinners to repentance and leading the wounded to find His healing. I'll just close with Isaiah 14.32. It says, The Lord has founded Zion. Zion often refers to His people. In this case, I believe it's applicable that He's talking about the church. The Lord has founded Zion. In her, the afflicted of His people will find refuge. Lord Jesus, we desire to be a people who armed with the gospel of Your grace are a refuge for both sinners and sinned against. For sinners and sufferers of every kind that we're able to point them to Jesus and get them the help they need. And sometimes that's hard. But it's not too hard for You. Lord, I pray for the marriages represented here. I'm so grateful that I know many stories out here of men and women, of, of, of men who lead well, of men who love their wives as Christ loved the church, and though they do it imperfectly, their eyes are on You. And of women, Lord, who joyfully follow that leadership, not perfectly, but their eyes are on You and good things are happening. I'm grateful for each of those homes. And I'm grateful in each of these homes where we have sinned and fallen short of Your glory that You have healed us and You're continuing to work with us and You're sanctifying us and You're making us more like Jesus. And Lord, that reality of Christ-like homes is one of the burning lights that this broken, abused, beat-up and, and, and aggressive world needs to see. And so would You make that light shine brighter and brighter and brighter. But where there is hurt, where there is need, 
where there is brokenness, where there is sin, I am praying that you would expose it and that the help would be getting where there needs to be repentance, Lord, you would give the gift of repentance. And it wouldn't just be words, it would be real and life-changing. And where there needs to be healing and forgiveness and the taking away of bitterness, that you would give it. And Lord, if there's cases that we're facing, and we know we, we are from outside, we've seen it, but it could be in here and we're just not aware where there are more clear, drastic need uh, 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 actions that need to be taken that you'd give us wisdom. And you would get help. And you would do what you alone can do. Rescue the broken. Heal the shattered. Bring back the scattered. For the sake of Jesus, we pray. Amen.